This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad you can join us on this, our first podcast of 2023. So January of 2023, I hope you had a good holiday season, a good Christmas, and a happy new year. Myself included, and a lot of my friends have told me that they kind of had a very low-key New Year's this year. No partying for them, but maybe sleeping a little bit. Maybe we're showing our age. Who knows? But I'm glad you joined us uh, for this new year and a new adventure. As we continue to understand how to create a just society right where we are. Today is kind of a a sad uh episode for me anyways uh over the holidays on a few days ago on december 31st pope benedict XVI passed away and he had a deep impact on my life uh, through his writings and his teachings and today i, I want to pay tribute to pope benedict XVI. in fact uh, i decided that our next few episodes are going to be a look at one of his encyclicals charity and truth And we're going to cover that a little bit and look at his take on social justice issues. He had a very different take on social justice issues because for him, there was only one element really necessary, and that was the element of love. And especially his first uh, encyclical being entitled God is Love. And so I, I want to look through his encyclical Charity on Truth and look at some of the important issues, world issues he brought up. And how he approached those. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI did pass away. I'm really deeply saddened. I I wept throughout the day that I received this news. Uh, my way of thinking and uh, <clears throat> towards certain issues was, in fact, shaped by some of his writings and teachings. And I spent that day... Uh, December 31st, just reflecting on my life and reflecting on the path that I'm on. And I spent the day thinking about his legacy and about what kind of legacy I want to leave behind. And he definitely did leave behind a legacy, a legacy of faithfulness, prayer, and humility. Today, we are paying tribute to him. And we're going to look at his life and teachings Like I said, next week we'll begin looking at his encyclical Charity in Truth, and that's going to give us a much understanding of how to create a society of love. Uh, We're not going to speak much today on social justice and how to create a just society. I'm just simply setting the stage today by introducing you to the man. Then you will understand his teachings on social justice. Let's look at the early years. 
Pope Benedict XVI, who was born Joseph Ratzinger, was born in Germany. And he was born in 1927. So 1927 Germany, if you do the math, um, you can uh, understand the atmosphere. He was born at the time of the Nazi regime under Adolf Hitler. So he was impacted by the Nazi regime. He was forced, by the way, by Hitler, or forced to be in the Hitler Youth and to be in the German military, but he resisted that, he hated it, and he ended up as a prisoner of war, according to some counts that I've read. So his early life was shaped by the nightmarish society of 1930s Germany. He saw injustice at its worth. Now, think about what you uh, have uh, experienced when you were a teenager. How did you live your life as a teenager? If you're a teenager listening to this, what kind of daily life do you live? Imagine someone like Joseph Ratzinger having to spend their teenage years resisting being in the Hitler Youth and resisting the federal government in order to keep himself uh, true. Can you imagine that's how you spend your teenage years? So it had a very deep impact and a very defining way of shaping him as an individual. Uh, or early on in his life, he became a priest. Uh, it is reported that he helped many Jews escape Germany. So again, there's a form of creating a just society, helping Jews get out of danger's way by putting yourself in danger's way. Uh, there was a story that I saw that once when he had gone to mass that Ratzinger had seen his priest get beaten by the Nazis before celebrating mass. Imagine that. Can you imagine going to mass this weekend and before mass starts, you watch your priest get beaten by the police and then mass continues. Ratzinger experienced that in later years. Uh, you see his heart for justice, which was obviously shaped by these experiences in Germany. You know, it, growing up in an atmosphere like that, it becomes very pronounced. What the injustice is, what you need to do about it. But, you know, growing up maybe in a place like America, where it's the injustices are more elusive. They're more hidden. They're more deceiving. It becomes more difficult uh, in that kind of environment to recognize them and then know what to do about them. It's like a game of hide-and-seek almost. <clears throat> but imagine going through these events, seeing your priest beaten, being forced into the Hitler Youth, and so on. How would, you, how would that shape you? We have to really understand how he was shaped to understand the man to understand the actions he took. By the way... This is interesting. Across the border in Poland, at the same time, was another young man about his same age being shaped in that same Nazi environment, Karol Watiwa, who would become Pope John Paul II. I'll talk more on this later. Two popes, similar time, similar region, being shaped by a similar circumstance. That's a, just a brief sketch of his early life. Let's look at him as the theologian. That was one of the main things that people talk about with Ratzinger, uh, Joseph Ratzinger later on 
Cardinal Ratzinger, as the theologian, because that's what he was really known for. His fascinating take on theology, uh, uh, trying to pull the church back to more Bible-centered, uh, more of a, a uh, Christ-centered theology. As, as he said once, theology must come from the Scriptures, and it must be centered in Christ. Uh <clears throat> He, that was interesting because he was from Germany, and in a time in Germany where you've got all these these theologians that use deductive reasoning to come up with their theology, uh, higher criticism coming out of Germany, all this, and at the same time, here comes this Catholic priest who would later become the Pope saying, no, it, theology needs to be centered around the Bible and around Jesus. <laughs> wow. You know, he just was a, a a man who didn't give himself to the trends. You know, I'm often warning you, don't get sucked up into the trends and caught up in the trends of social justice movements. And he's he was a man who just did not get caught up in the theological trends. He stayed true to true theology. Now... <clears throat> I pulled some information here from the Vatican website. I decided to go to his personal website on the Vatican's website, and it says that from 1946 to 1951, uh, he studied philosophy and theology at the University of Munich and uh, and at the higher school in Freising, uh, however you pronounce that, together with his brother, uh, which we would say in America, George, he was ordained a priest on uh, June 21st, 1951 in the cathedral. And in 1953, Father Ratzinger obtained a doctorate in theology with a thesis entitled, and this is interesting, his thesis for his doctorate degree was The People and House of God in St. Augustine's Doctrine of the Church. The People and the House of God in St. Augustine's Doctrine of the Church. Now, this is going to give us a big clue here. Uh, Father Ratzinger was greatly influenced by St. Augustine. He refers to him often. And so it's no mistake or accident that his doctorate, doctoral thesis was from St. Augustine's Doctrine of the Church. This is very interesting to me because he studies St. Augustine's view of the Church. Later on, when we get to the Vatican II Council, then you've got him writing Gaudium et Spes and Lumen Gentium, which were very long documents on what the church is all about. And so there's just something about Pope Benedict XVI that touched me on a deep level. Because I'm a former Protestant pastor, and for years I longed to know what is the nature and purpose of the church. I studied deep writings from Protestant theologians wanting to know what is the nature and purpose of the church. And I, I was uh, belonged to some intentional communities, house churches, and I studied, you know, uh, mainline churches, all kinds of things, and trying to understand this. And then here comes a Catholic pope <laughs> who writes these incredible documents, says, here is 
the nature and purpose of the church, which St. Paul writes extensively in his letters of Ephesians and Colossians. And I encourage you to read Ephesians and Colossians in the Bible again, because St. Paul spells out, this is the nature and purpose of the church. Four years later, uh, he qualified as a university professor. So he then taught dogma and fundamental theology at the higher school of philosophy and theology at Freising. Can you imagine having him as a professor? Then in Bonn from 1959 to 1969, in Munster from 1963 to 1966, and in Tübingen from 66 to 69. Beginning in 1969, he was a professor of dogmatic theology and, and of history of dogma at the University of Regensburg, where he eventually became dean and vice rector. Now, all of these timelines, I'm throwing out 1956, 63 to 66, 69, that should ring a bell. You're like, isn't that during the time of Vatican II? Uh, yeah, it is. And so begin from 1962 to 1965, he was present during all four sessions of the Second Vatican Council as a chief theological advisor at the University of Cologne. Uh, yeah. And so he was very influential and was invited to be there at the Vatican II Council as a theological expert. And his writings in those documents of the Vatican II, I've got them in my library. I encourage you to get them in yours. It's incredible what Father Ratzinger, uh, well, then Cardinal Ratzinger, what he contributed. He, he was well known for his deep theology and an expert theologian. Now, let's talk about the Vatican II Council. This has been a church council that has upset a lot of Catholics, pleased a lot of Catholics, <clears throat> been misunderstood by a lot of Catholics and so and even twisted by a lot of Catholics. So let's look at Vatican Council II. Cardinal Ratzinger, you know, Joseph Ratzinger's birth name was deeply involved, as I said, in this council, writing Gaudium et Spes, which is called the pastoral constitutional in the church in the modern world. So he's saying what is the nature of what is the function of the church in the modern world and Lumen Gentium entitled the dogmatic constitution on the church deep, but yet clear writings, <laughs> what it means to be the church. Um, Cardinal Ratzinger believed in the absolute necessity of the Vatican council too. And I do too. And by the way, church councils, no matter if it's Vatican II or whatever, it just has a way of ups they have a way of upsetting people because it requires change. The very first church council in Jerusalem, by the way, which is recorded in the Bible, we see in the book of Acts, we see, you know, Paul and we see Peter, James, John, all these apostles, they're there because they've got to make some major decisions for the church, decisions like do the Gentile Christians have to follow the Jewish laws and Jewish rites? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to observe the Sabbath? All these things. Major trips. And I'm sure many Christians were upset by the decisions that were made. But it just happens. 
we're still freshly out of Vatican II. It was 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago. Um, well, it was actually more than 40 years ago. It was 1965. Yeah, almost 60 years ago. But in terms of human history, we're still freshly out of Vatican II. And so, yeah, of course, we're still going to have some turbulence uh, through the decisions they made. But Cardinal Ratzinger believed in the absolute necessity of Vatican II. He stood firm in that. He believed, as he said, that the church was hiding behind the walls of the Middle Ages and needed to move out into the world, and that the grace and call of God belonged to everyone, not just the clergy. So the reforms, of which he was a large part, were an act of justice and charity. He was being just to the lady, just to the non-believers by saying, hey, let's get out in this new evangelization into the world and make a difference in the world. Now, at this point, he was very close to uh, Cardinal Watiwa, who would become Pope John Paul II. Uh, so, you know, there's all these dynamics at play. And they were very close, by the way, to each other. They did know each other. They were very close to each other. I don't think it's an accident that as soon as St. Pope John Paul II passes away, it is Pope Benedict XVI. It is Cardinal Ratzinger who becomes Pope. What a beautiful lineage right there. Um, and by the way, the past little over 100 years. We've had a great lineage of popes, by the way. I'm impressed and just excited to see God's hand in that. Now, in later years, uh, Pope Benedict XVI firmly and wisely defended Vatican II. He had people attack him. The liberals were attacking him. The liberals loved using Vatican II to carry out the abuses of the liturgy. The conservatives kept wanting to go back to the Latin rite. And go back to the old ways, but Car Pope Benedict the XVI uh, defended to the end of his life. He defended Vatican II Council against both liberals and conservatives, and he said it was absolutely necessary to move out of the 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 space we were as the church, and to to be engaged in the world and to have the laity engaged in the mass. He felt that the laity was no longer engaged and active in the Mass, and he felt that these reforms were necessary to get the laity re-engaged uh, in the Mass. Uh, you know, he... It's kind of funny, because if you look at Cardinal Ratzinger, it's as if he were a liberal at the Vatican Council II and a conservative as a pope. <laughs> the reason why this is is simply because he rejected both extremes, he rejected the excesses of liturgical abuse uh, used by liberals to, in Vatican II to justify their abuse, and he was against going back to the Middle Ages. And so, you know, it just depends on how you look at the man. But you could look at him and say, well, he's complicated, but not really. Pope Benedict XVI was actually quite simple. I think that's one of the things... I think it was the people who attacked him who were complicated. They're the ones that were complicating things. He was quite simple. He was just like, hey, God is love. Theology is Bible-centered and Christ-centered. And that's pretty much it. And so everything he did 
was out of that simple belief. He was a simple man who simply brought us back. But it's so funny because at the same time he was simple, he was so incredibly deep in his theology. Kind of like God. God is simple, yet God is infinitely deep. Yeah. I think maybe then I'm just musing out loud so you can ignore me if you want right now. I'm just thinking out loud. So maybe when we get complicated, we become shallow. But when we're simple, then we can go deep. Now let's look at him as Pope. Pope Benedict XVI. He was named Pope after the death of uh, Pope John Paul II. And... This story I like to tell, this is something that has deeply touched me because when uh, Pope Benedict XVI appeared for the first time out on the balcony, you know, popes will appear on the balcony and offer a blessing to the people. The first time he appeared uh, there on the balcony was Cardinal George, who's from the United States. And Cardinal George, there's a photo that a media person took, and Cardinal George appeared to be looking pensively out in the distance. And someone finally asked Cardinal George, they said, you know, why were you looking so distant, pensively, in that picture? And he said, well, what I was thinking is across the way was the Circus Maximus, where so many Christians were martyred. And, and, And Nero seemed to have the upper hand. Nero seemed to be all-powerful, and he murdered so many Christians in that uh, arena. He says, I looked at it. I noticed the Circus Maximus is in decay. It's collapsing. And he said, I was thinking to myself, and this is powerful. Hear this. He said, I was thinking to myself. Nero thought he was so powerful, so mighty, But where is the successor of Nero, you might ask? Who cares? But where is the successor of St. Peter, you may ask? Oh, he's standing right there. That touches me deeply. Like, wow, God won. (laughs) God does what God always does. He overcame the evil of the Roman Empire through the blood of the martyrs. And yeah, Nero has no successor The Roman Empire died out. Its structures are in decay, but right over there is the successor of St. Peter. (laughs) The church did what Jesus said the church would do. It would prevail. And that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And it didn't. Now, Pope Benedict XVI led the church through difficult times. And even when he was cardinal... He led the way in bringing abusive priests and bishops to justice. In fact, Cardinal Ratzinger pushed Pope John Paul II hard. Let's bring these priests and bishops to account for their abuse of children. And so he led the way, and he was very tough. And maybe that's what, you know, he has a negative reputation among quite a few people. It could be because of that, because he wasn't taking no prisoners when it came to the abuse of children. And so... You know, it's going to tick off some people, but he did the right thing. Now, he was Pope from 2005 to 2013, and he said his whole mission was to seek the face of Jesus. 
And this shows in his trilogy on Jesus. If you haven't read it, read his trilogy on Jesus. And in his writings and speakings, his desire was that all would seek the face of Jesus. And as a cardinal and at Vatican II and as Pope, he led the way to bring the church back to being centered around the Bible and around Jesus and seeking the face of Jesus. <clears throat> Pope Benedict XVI said that Christianity is not an ideology, but rather a relationship with a person. He said that in his first encyclical, first paragraph, by the way, of God is love. He said, Christianity is not an ideology. It is a relationship with a person. Uh, and his defining work as Pope was that encyclical, God is Love, believed by many to be one of the greatest encyclicals ever written. Now, next week, as I said, to remind you, we're going to begin studying his second encyclical, Charity and Truth, which speaks much of social justice. But as Pope, he brought the church back to Jesus and carried on the torch of Pope John Paul II. The church had just strayed. It does that from time to time. The church strays, the church comes back. And by the way, when we consume the Eucharist, why do we go every week to the table, to the altar, to consume the Eucharist? It's because God is always calling his people to return. Jesus didn't say the church would be perfect. He never promised the church would be perfect. He just promised the church would prevail to the end and would become holy. But the Eucharist is God's way of weekly saying, come back to the table. You've strayed in the world this week, come back to the table. He did that with Israel. Israel would sin, they would worship Bel, they would worship Molech, and God would just say through the prophets, come back to the table. God is always faithfully calling us back to the table, the, the supper of the Lamb. And the church had strayed become worldly, dysfunctional, kind of blah in its relationship to God. And through both, not just Pope Benedict XVI, but through Pope Benedict XVI, God called the church back to the table, back to the, to the supper of the Lamb, back to the Eucharist, how beautiful it is. People who have met Pope Benedict XVI just talk much about his how much he exuded holiness, love, and humility. He really was a father figure in the pure sense of the word. Now, let's look at his teachings, and then we'll look at his legacy and close out. His teachings. Now, Pope Benedict XVI was influenced heavily by the church fathers and by St. Augustine, whom he refers to regularly. He believed that theology should come from the Bible, not from deductive reasoning, which was so, again, we said earlier, was so prevalent in his time, especially in Germany and other parts of Europe. He just was not into the latest fads of theology. <laughs> he was like, they're passing their hair, they're going, some schmoes are teaching something out there, whatever. I think I'll stick to the real thing. And God is love, his first encyclical, sets the foundation for his teachings. His belief was that the love of God sets the stage for true theology. That true theology is a relationship with a person and not some abstract ideology. And his teachings on social justice come from that experience as well. And we'll get more to his teachings next week. 
Let's look at his legacy. He left a threefold legacy to us. Pope Benedict left a legacy of holiness, of faithfulness, and humility. Think about this. He retired as Pope, something that had not happened in 600 years, due to aging and realizing he just could not perform the demands of a Pope. And so in humility, <laughs> he retires as Pope, recognizing, I can't do this. And he went to a monastery and prayed and spent time in silence and did penance. What humility that is. What humility, a guy who's the Pope of the church, one of the most powerful people in the world. And he retires saying, I cannot do this any longer. And he goes becomes invisible he becomes hidden and in humility he spends his rest of his life in prayer silence and penance oh wow in a world where we're all grasping for fame and fortune and to be recognized and noticed he let go of all that he was recognized and noticed and he let go of it and said i'm going to go into silence and into hiding and just be with jesus Wow. Wow. Be with Jesus and Mary for the rest of his life. And he was a man of deep prayer and spirituality. And may we follow his example of being holy, of being faithful. He was faithful to the end and of being humble. You know, it's hard to let go of somebody when they influence you deeply, isn't it? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling a friend, whatever, when somebody influences you deeply, it's hard to let them go. Pope Benedict XVI influenced the Church of Jesus Christ very deeply. Uh, he lived to be uh, almost 100 years old. For almost a century, he was involved in shaping the Church. All the media lies and deceit about him are unfounded. He was a great Pope. He lived his life seeking the face of Jesus, and thus he had a profound effect on the world. So what did he mean to you? What did Pope Benedict XVI, Cardinal Ratzinger, what did he mean to you? Let me know in an email. I would love to have that, to hear from you, what he meant to you. Like him, may we seek the face of Jesus right where we are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.